Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Um, hello, everybody. I'm eager, eager to do this. Um, I, I, like Sean said, I love the Old Testament, and I love um, working at Coastline. So this is really fun. Uh, and like I said, Chapman Hurley is right there, my wife's right there, and no one else is in the house. So we could, and if this wasn't like a YouTube stream, we could do whatever we want. It's like our parents are, are away for the weekend, but um, I think there's some people watching, so we probably can do that. Um, so like Sean said, we're gonna look at what it means to be on mission, uh, and this language that we're using is this language of being an ambassador that Paul brings up in 2 Corinthians 5. It's a really helpful way to think about our call as Christians to represent Christ. And you think about an ambassador going from one homeland to another land and representing their people and representing their leader and representing their rule. And that is just a really compelling picture to me. And I think it's a really compelling picture to Paul in the New Testament. But what's really, really funny about it is that it doesn't just live in the New Testament. This is actually one of the, if not the most ancient command we have in the entire Bible. To be an ambassador is fundamentally our DNA as people. And I'm really, really excited to open up and look at my favorite passage in scripture, which is Genesis 1, which if you're keeping score, I've spoken at Coastline three times now, and all three times have been on Genesis 1, which is saying something. I really do love Genesis and the first three chapters in particular. But we're going to look at the first pages of the Bible where we see that we have this clear call as humans to live out as ambassadors and represent God. But the language ambassador, you will not find it in Genesis 1. You will find another word, this word of image, or this word likeness. And we're going to dive deep into what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to be in the likeness of God. And we're going to ask the question, what do those things, being in God's image, what does that do for our evangelism? As we go and we be ambassadors, what does the image of God mean for that? And I just want to say off the bat, you know, we're talking about the George Floyd uh, situation and things like that. And, and image of God is being thrown out a lot in this day and age. And, um, you know, I, I, I say, how does the image of God affect our evangelism or impact how we become ambassadors to people? And, I, I mean, we all know, if you've been in church for any number of years, the image of God is this idea that you were created with inherent worth and inherent value. And so what does the image of God mean for our evangelism? Well, it means that everybody is worth evangelizing or everybody is worth the conversation, worth knowing, and worth being in relationship with. And that can pretty much be the top. We can close it out, we can say that's it. But I think that's almost too reductive. I think there's a way to understand the image of God in a way that is not only compelling for us in relationship to God, but also really compelling for us to go and then share our life of faith with others. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to ask the question, if we have a really holistic, robust understanding of the image of God, how does that impact us and our call to be ambassadors. So if you will pray with me as we open up our Bibles to Genesis 1, chapter 26 through 28, um, we are going to get started. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, I'm eager for, um, just eager to dive deeper into your word tonight. Um, I'm eager to dive deep into Genesis 1 and dive into the creation story. Lord, this is when we were created by you in your wisdom and your goodness and your love, God. Uh, and it's really fun to dump, jump into this passage and see, see some deeper truths. So God, I just pray tonight that those deeper truths would be re revealed. That God, to uh, understand what it means to be created in your image does so much for us in our evangelism, in our discipleship, and how we share our faith with others. So Lord, I just pray with me tonight, with the tech tonight. God, thanks for Chapman uh, helping out behind the scenes. 
And Lord, I just pray that tonight we would be able to uh, really, really leave this time knowing what it means to really be created in your image and how that affects how we interact with others. So Lord, be with us, be with this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, very, very um, classically referred to as the creation mandate. This is kind of God's first command to humanity. And let's read it, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And so I want to specifically focus on this idea of the image of God that you'd see a couple times in this passage. And what's really interesting about Genesis 1, 26 and 28 is it's basically saying the same thing three times. And something that I always tell students is if the Bible says something more than once, it really wants you to remember what it's saying. So if something is being said three times, you know it's super duper important. And what's really fascinating about this particular passage is that it's basically narrative, a poem, and narrative. Right? So it's this like narrative thing that's appealing to your sense of like story and order. This is what happens. These are the characters. This is what's going on. And then there's this like artistic break in 27. Your, your Bible's probably indented. Mine is. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So it's this moment where you're supposed to be drawn to this, not only through your head, but in your heart. Like being created in the image of God isn't just supposed to stir your intellect, but it's supposed to stir your heart as well. And then in 28, the author of Genesis just fleshes it out a little bit more. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And so like I said, tonight we're going to focus specifically on the image of God, what that means. And again, like I said, a lot of ink has been spilled over the centuries on what this means. People ask what the image of God in humanity actually means. Is it an actual quantifiable attribute that separates us from animals? Is image of God another way of saying that we are rational beings who can decide right from wrong, who can say yes and no, who can think critically and think ahead? Is the image of God another way of saying that we just have emotions? Is the image of God language? Is it free will? Is it a conscience? And, and I think all those are good questions to ask, but I ultimately think that the answer is in the text. I think the text gives us all that we need in order to understand what it really means to be created in the image of God. And if, if we really understand that, we'll be able to look at being ambassadors in a whole new way. So we're going to get nerdy for a second. Um, when I, again, when I am with students and I, I jump into some Hebrew or Greek, I always tell them I'm going to save them $20,000 from Biola by just giving you some very important keywords. And I'm going to save you guys about $20,000 from Biola right now and teach you the Hebrew word for image, which is this word, tselem. Chapman, say it. Tselem. No. Tselem. Tselem. T-S. Tselem. Tselem. There you go. Tselem. <laughs> so it's this T-S. It's a tzade. That's the, that's the Hebrew letter. And it's a really fascinating word because it's very commonly translated as image. Now, image for our hyper-documented culture is kind of a lost idea. We, we take the idea of images for granted. I mean, on your phone, you can take 100,000 pictures of one event, and it will live forever 
on your pictures. You'll have an image of that moment forever. You take something that normally exists in your memory or in this ethereal realm and you put it in a physical space. Now think about when this was written. I mean, we can't really date Genesis, but it certainly wasn't written within the past thousand years. And cameras are a fairly new invention. So when you have this idea of image, it's that same concept, taking something that's ethereal, taking that something that doesn't exist in this realm and then placing it here for you to have. So this word for tzelem, this word image, is like this heaven, you know, physical, spiritual realm kiss kind of moment where it's like, boom, they're coming together. You have the spiritual represented in a physical item, which... If you're tracking with me, your ears are kind of perked because you say, wait, isn't that just an idol? Wouldn't you say idolatry is taking a god or, or, or you know, a spiritual concept and then making like a totem or making something out of it? And I would say yes, because the Hebrew word selim is also the Hebrew word for idol, which is about as close as you can get to a swear word in the Old Testament. Idolatry is hated by God. He says we are not to create any idols. Uh, you think of Exodus 20 verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So thinking about images, thinking about images and idols and, and likeness and all of those things as the physical coming into the spiritual, that, that commandment makes a lot of sense. Because God is not saying, don't make things. God is saying, don't try to bring the physical, or don't try to bring the spiritual into the physical. Because that's God's job. It's God's job to create idols. God created idols. He created little versions of him, little likenesses of him, little representations of God in us, right? So God's like, I'm the one making the idols. I don't want you to do that. That is not your job. Because if God doesn't want anything, he does not want us to be him. He only wants us to be like him. He doesn't want us to be him. He wants us to be like him. So in Exodus 20, he's taking this concept that we see in Genesis 1.26, and he's saying, it goes one way. I am the creator, and I will create. You are the creature. You will not create idols because you don't have the power to bring the spiritual into the physical. He's saying, images are creation. I am the creator. I create idol. I create images, not you. You are not God because God has already created images in us. It's not up to us, the idols, to recreate the idler. It's this concept of a creature-creator distinction, and we're not supposed to cross that. But that idea is so interesting when you think about this passage, bringing the spiritual into the physical. And that's what God does with us. He takes the spiritual thing, like who God is, and he puts it into us, which is his image, his likeness. And he wants us to be like him. He wants us to represent him. He wants us to image him. I think image isn't so much a noun, but it's a verb. We are called to image God. You are an imager. That is your call as a person because you are God's idol. You are God's image. It's basically all that you can do. You are an imager of God. So is it a quantifiable thing? Is it a trait? Is it like your rational thinking? No. It's the fact that you are representing God. You are like God. You are an imager. And the text gives us everything we need to understand what that means. Because the question then becomes, okay, so if I'm an imager, what does that mean? What does it mean to image? Specifically, what does that mean to image God? If that's what God does, I want you to be like me. I want you to be like the spiritual in the physical. That's what I do. I want you to be in, in the physical. I want you to take my image. I want you to take it in my likeness and go and do this thing, which is imaging. What does that mean? 
And again, I think the text gives us everything that we need. Because if you had found just the first page of the Bible, I think that you can make some pretty interesting and very accurate um, deductions about who this God character is. And I think that is what I really want us to focus on tonight. What does it mean to image God? Well, it means to act like this God that you read about in Genesis 1. And what do we know about God in Genesis 1? What, what, what are the things we see about God in Genesis 1? What well, first we see, he creates. God is creative. I mean, literally, the whole story of everything begins with God creating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. So if you're like, I'm supposed to image this God, I'm supposed to be like this God, I'm supposed to represent this God, I'm supposed to represent the spiritual in this physical realm, what am I representing? The first thing that you know is that God is creative. God is creative and God creates. What's the second thing you know about this God? Well, if you keep reading, you see that God is a sustainer, or, or how I like to put it, he cultivates. Things don't just happen and stay there. You know, this isn't like a deist text. God sees what things need, and then he provides them. And you think of the ultimate call of Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And if you even go into verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So God is now saying, there's this whole earth and I need you to take care of it. I'm not just going to let it go and, and be like a park during COVID where there's nobody working or helping out. No, I want you to cultivate. And you also see God cultivating and sustaining throughout the days of creation, right? Something happens in day two, and then God fulfills it again another day. So not only is God creative, God is a cultivator. God is a cultivator. So if you're to image God, not only are you being creative, but you're cultivating. You're, you're doing your part to sustain. And then finally... I think the coolest thing about this God that you can just find from the first page of the Bible is that this God loves community. God creates, God cultivates, and God lives in community. Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. These are plural words. And again, I could talk for like a thousand hours about what I think is actually happening in this text, and if you want to grab coffee and talk about it, I would love to do that. Um, but you see even right here that God is already in a community in Genesis 1.26. Like the first page of the Bible, you see that God is in a community. And then we're supposed to be like that as well. So if we're imaging God and we're just looking at the first page of the Bible, we're seeing God is creative. We're seeing God cultivates. And we're seeing God lives in community. And again, look at Genesis 1.28. He, he wraps it all up in this one phrase. God blessed them said, be fruitful and increase, so community, fill the earth and subdue it, sustain, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In Genesis 2, we see Adam is called to name these things. So he's supposed to create names for them. They're supposed to sustain the earth, and they're supposed to make more little images of God for community. So to image God means we create, we cultivate, and we live in community. And does that not just sound like good evangelism? Right? Does that not just sound like good Frank List interactions? If you're out there creating, if you're out there cultivating, if you're out there living in community, would that not be like the world's greatest evangelism strategy? So when I ask the question, what does the image of God do to our evangelism? Y'all, it is our evangelism. 
Evangelism only works if it's image-centered. If we are thinking of these three things, these three core characteristics we find of God in the very beginning of the Bible, and we keep those in the forefront of our mind as we go and we evangelize, as we be ambassadors, I think we're going to have really, really, really successful efforts. I think it's better than gospel tracts. I think it's better than bait and switch ministry. I think it's better than an apologetic course. And I think all those things are great. But I think that image-focused evangelism is evangelism that's really effective and really works. I think the best evangelism is image-centered. When you look at the world and you want to create a solution, you want to create a solution to a problem that's there, I think that's really, really good evangelism. I think of all of the ministry that I've been involved in in youth ministry and um, how it's like a magic show or like a concert or like, uh, I don't know, like you, you do that stuff and, and you, you this, the kids come and they're like, oh my gosh, they're doing a gospel presentation. And again, that works and I know plenty of, I mean, I started going to church that way, but what's funny is that that is not solving any problems. There's no seventh grader out there who's like, man, if only there were more magic shows for me to go to, then I'd feel full as a person. I'd feel so wholesome if I could just go to more concerts in church parking lots. No. What people need is, is, is friendship and, and love and community. But even deeper, there are tangible needs. Your neighborhood might need tutors or babysitters or someone to drive them to church or drive them around or someone to be there with them as they receive painful news or someone to just clean or someone to wash their windows or fix something. There are probably really tangible problems that you can create solutions for. And friends, that's evangelism. That's evangelism. So to look at your world and to say, how can I create a problem? I mean, how can I create a problem? How can I create a solution to a problem that's here, a real problem that's here? I think that is a good start to evangelism. And I think about sustaining or cultivating. It's not just going to the person's house and spending an hour with them, right? It's Cultivating a relationship, sustaining that relationship. Again, I think of all of the camps that I had, a cry night or a decision night. We never would just say that the decision night was all that it takes to be a Christian. No, we sustain and we cultivate the relationship by providing youth group the next week and the next week and the next week and another camp later because we want the relationship to last. So we create or you create a solution to a problem and then you sustain and you cultivate and you say, what can I do to continue to make this grow? What can I do to continue to make this thrive? And then finally, community. You never just let evangelism stay there. You always say, hey, I got this really cool church. We sometimes meet in backyards and eat burgers. It's really fun. Or hey, I got this really cool internet show I watch Tuesdays at 7. Do you want to watch it with me? It's like, it's, it's more than just, oh yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out with this person and we've been hanging out for a bit and that's it. It's, no, I'm looping them back into a Jesus-centered gospel community. It's creating solutions, it's cultivating relationships, and then it's pointing people back to community. And the beautiful thing is that it's perpetual. You just keep doing it. So how does the image of God affect our evangelism? If we have image-centered evangelism, then we are doing what I think is the most successful thing, which is just representing God. And when you represent God, people tend to respond pretty positively. And there's a final encouragement here that I, that I, that I want to bring up. Um, God's image, it's never revoked. If you read Genesis 3, um, you, you see that Satan, or, or the serpent, tries to get Eve, he tricks her, reread this, he says this, 
uh, verse four, she says, should I, should I eat the fruit? And he's like, you should. And she's like, eh, God said not to. And verse four, serpent says this, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now notice that, you'll be like God. Eve is already like God. She is an imager of God. So he's lying to her. He's like, you probably want to be more like God. You want to be like God. No, no, no. He's telling her, you want to be God. You want to make the decisions for yourself. You want to know good and evil for yourself. And then Eve takes the bite, and then sin enters. And if you read the whole um, totality of Genesis 3, you see that God reverses all of the things that he set up in Genesis 1. Childbearing, where you would continue the community, that's painful now. The, the earth is not easy to work with. There, there is toil, and there is pain, and there is difficulty, as we see. And then we see community, the, the, the relationship between uh, husband and wife, there's now a power dynamic. The text literally says that the husband will rule over his wife. It's broken. So God, in Genesis 3, as a result of sin, the imaging is fractured, but it's never, ever revoked. It's never, ever revoked. And that is such good news. Meaning there's nothing that you can do to lose the image of God. There's nothing you can do. And I think a lot of us need to remember that. That I, I think that we think, man, my Christian witness is so lame. Because I don't have a crazy story. I, I don't have an insane testimony where people are going to come to the Lord. Or, or maybe we think, man, the things that I've done and the things that I've seen and, and the places I've been in my life, like, man, there's no way, no way that I could ever image God. And the truth is, you read Genesis 3, God does not revoke his image from Adam and Eve, and he does not revoke his image from us. And so that's super important for us to remember. But just because, you know, he didn't re remove it from you means he hasn't removed it from other people as well. So those difficult people, those hard people, people who don't look like you or agree with you or vote the same way you do or like the same music you do or care about the same things that you do. Friends, the image of God is still in them and they are worth reaching out to. So image-shaped evangelism, it's certainly, certainly vertical where you think, man, I'm imaging God, but it's also horizontal. This person has the image of God as well. How can I keep their image in mind as I do evangelism? That is just kind of, a little bit of what I have found from Genesis 1. Um, I, I, I think, Coastline, if we are an image-centered church, not like image, like I look so great and I drive a Range Rover and, you know, whatever, but image-centered, like thinking of how we can image God and how we can embrace the image of God in others, I think our evangelism is unstoppable because we're not just doing a program. We're not just like doing what we think needs to be done. We're literally living out our purpose, sensing other people's purpose, which is just to image God, meeting those, and, and then, I mean, come on, what, what, what can't we do? So, so the questions I have for you tonight, as you, as you go on this week, there's a couple. What, what problems can I create solutions to? Really practical things in your community. And that means getting to know your neighbors, getting to know people around you, getting to know the things that your community needs. That's one. Second, what can you cultivate? Well, what's a relationship in your life that maybe started as a created uh, solution to a problem, but it's actually turned out that you just kind of let that go. You haven't texted that person in a long time, and you haven't really sustained or cultivated that relationship. It's not really growing. What, what is that, and how can you fix that? And then finally, where are you missing community this week? Where are you retreating? Where are you hiding? Maybe it's a sin, or maybe it's just you're tired of people, and now that you're vaxxed and your friends are vaxxed, you're like, but I liked the excuse of COVID. I didn't want to see you in the first place. Like, maybe you have those things happening. Those things are in play, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to be in community. Friends, that's, that's just not living image-centered. That's just that's living your own image-centered. You're reflecting yourself. Th those are three questions, but I think the biggest 
question that you should be asking as we, as we think about being an ambassador, as we think about representing Christ and representing God, it's how can I embrace the image of God in others? How can I affirm the image of God in others? And how can I see the image of God in others, particularly people who don't even realize that they have the image of God in them? Because that's the whole thing about being an ambassador, going and representing Christ, going and representing God, imaging God to those who don't even recognize that they have the DNA of the creator inside of them. And so I think this community is diverse, eclectic, incredible, and I think that if Coastline, we think about image-based evangelism, image-based, image-centered ambassadorship, then I think we will be on a really good track to have a fully family church at Coastline. So I hope you're blessed by this tonight. Um, again, the coffee order stands for everybody. Uh, if you want to talk about Genesis 126 and how there are other gods in the Bible, let's go get pizza and talk about it. But until then, it's been very nice sharing with you. Uh, We'll see you on Sunday at launch team. Peace. <laughs>